chapter 2 this morning. And just a, a quick look backwards. Uh, James is sometimes looked at as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's got a lot of uh, quick and, 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 and sayings, and some of them can be quite uh, huh, invasive <laughs> in a sense of, of uh, bringing to light the things that we are to do in, in living out our Christian faith. And uh, chapter 1, uh, it first dealt with the ideas that there are trials and tribulations that come our way. And they're a testing of our faith. They build us up. God uses these things to build us up and strengthen us. Uh, I've had, I don't know how many times I've, I've, I've over the years heard people as Christians say, why does God do that that way? Well, it's because we chose to sin. And what you need to do is, is look at it and say, we live in a fallen world, and as a result, it's less than what God would have had for us, and, and we, are the, we, we create these difficulties in the sense of our relationships and, and, and the relationships of others. And so as living in a fallen world, there are going to be trials and tribulations. And what's really interesting is some of those trials, and we've talked about this before in here, uh, are trials uh, that come from the fact that we stand up for Christ and His Word. And there are people that look at that and say, you mean you take it literally? Yes, we take it literally. You really believe the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes, we literally believe the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said, you know, people will say, well, you know, uh, in fact, I've had, I think I've shared with you before, I've had pastors share with me, uh, well, it wasn't a physical or bodily resurrection. It was just his teachings that were resurrected. And I think, how can you get up every Sunday morning and preach, you know, uh, with any kind of credibility and intention of, of saying this applies if you don't have the authority of God in the sense of what he has done? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that God has the authority to do what he says he's going to do and can do and will do. So... Uh, this idea of trials and tribulations is a part of living in a fallen world, but we are to come through them with prayer and, and coming alongside each other and coming alongside others in our community and as, as a witness and a testimony. And what will happen with that is as we witness and testify to what Christ is doing for us and we come alongside other people, they'll say, why are you that way? Why do you think this way or why do you do this? And Peter says, be, be prepared to give a testimony as to what Christ has done in you. And so, God uses these things, even, in the, even though they're not from Him, He uses them to, to build us up, strengthen us, and to further the work of His kingdom. Uh, James also points out really clearly that we're not to be just hearers of the Word. In other words, you know, we come Sunday morning together and we, we listen to the Word together. We maybe go to Bible study. Maybe we listen to tapes or, or uh, CDs or MP3s. I'm trying to think, you know, I'm going backwards and showing my age for sure. Uh, but the idea is, is that, that we have various ways of, of, of listening to and, and, and getting exposed to the Word of God, including reading the Scriptures, which would be a format of hearing in a sense. And so James says, don't be just a hearer of the word. You need to be a what? Doer of the word. And uh, look at uh, verse 27. 
of chapter 1. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, to actually put your faith into practice. You see people in need, minister to them. And somebody says, well, you know, just, does that mean specifically just uh, the widows and orphans? No, that was just the generality to, to say people in need around you. We as Christians are to have our eyes open, our ears open. And, and a prayer could be a simple prayer might be, Lord, let me have your ears, your eyes today as I walk through my daily routines. And you might be surprised what God will open your eyes to and, and allow you to be used to minister. I think of people who have ministered to me that don't know me by name uh, over the years, and, and you know whether it's been a, 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 uh, a car problem on the side of the road or, or different things, where, and I find that they're Christians and they, they stop to help, you know. And, and it makes you realize that, you know, this is part of what we're to do. We're to be aware of what's going on around us. There's a lot of people that try to just, in a sense, kind of cloister themselves and stay away from the world. And that's not what James says. We're in this world. That's why we have the trials and tribulations. And Jesus says very clearly, you're in the world. You're not of it. You belong to me. But you're in it for me. So... Uh, you know, doing the word. I think of Matthew chapter 25, where he, where the, the the separating of the sheep and the goats, and Jesus saying the the things that these people did for them, and and and, and as as to feeding and clothing and and visiting me in prison and all these things, and and they say, well, when did we ever do that? You know, and he says, when you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. This is really what James is backing up. In fact. A number of, of uh, uh, biblical scholars that I had the opportunity to look at as, as in reference to James say that James is a reflection of the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of ties to the Sermon on the Mount through the book of James. In chapter 2, I'm going to just read the, I'm going to go through verses two, 1 through 13, but I'm just going to read the first seven verses. Uh, and, and, and focus on that for just a few moments. James writes, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in the good place. While you say, uh, while well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are, were called? Rather harsh statement there on the reference to the rich. But you've got to understand where James is coming from. First off, James is, is, is 
likely in Jerusalem, still dealing with the Pharisees and, and those. And the culture had come to the point where those who had wealth were set apart and highly esteemed, and many of them were religious leaders besides. And as a result, uh, you know, uh, they they were the ones, you know, you, you, that would come along, and, and, and we've had got one parable where the guy... Uh, wouldn't forgive the debt, you know, and 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 you know, this type of thing. You you've got to re- realize that that these uh, Jesus would was pointing out. You don't take care of your parents. You don't take care of your your family. Uh, you're you're taking away the widow's home. All these different things that were going on. James is this is the time that James lived, and so the rich were in a, in lots of ways set apart. In fact. So much so that even Jesus said it's difficult for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. Does it mean that a rich person couldn't be a Christian or get into the kingdom? Does it mean that every rich person is going to fall into this category? No. So that's why I wanted to set that part aside so you understand where James is coming from here. But the key really that we want to look at is, is, is seen in verse 1. First off, he says, my brothers, which makes it very clear he is talking to believers. My brothers and sisters, in some translations, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The Lord of, of glory being a term that comes out of the Old Testament uh, and, and definitely tying to the idea that the, the, the triune God picture is, is underneath that. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Well, wait a minute. God, the Father Jehovah, is the Lord of glory. And it's tying those together there. But the real issue here is, is to show no partiality. Some, some translations read uh, to not be a respecter of persons. And this word partiality has to do with the idea of the way you receive and look at people. So that's an appropriate uh, translation as well. Show no partiality or don't be a respecter of, of persons. Uh, what, what James is simply saying is that no one deserves special attention in the kingdom of God. In other words, to be elevated up and say, oh, this is a uniquely special person. He, he, he's more this or more that or whatever. Um, to the point where uh, you have uh, in some church groups... Uh, where you kiss the, the, the ring of the bishop and different types of things, that's not to be the thing that, that happens within the framework of the body of Christ. There is no favoritism. There is no partiality towards uh, people in the, in the church. And I was looking at this, and I, I, I read where there was, you know, no celebrities in Christ's kingdom. And I thought that was an interesting phrase. No celebrities in Christ's kingdom. No one deserves special attention because it comes back to the bottom line is what is it we really deserve? We don't want to talk about it. We really don't because what we deserve is hell. When did we deserve it? From the moment we morally were conscious of right and wrong and went wrong. I don't know how many of us in here could label that age that you were when that happened, but the reality is is that there's no one in this room with the exception of one little child over here, possibly, that is exempt. 
a couple in the back looking around. Yeah. We all deserve the judgment, the wrath that sin deserves. So there's no room for partiality. The rich man and the poor man are equal before the throne of God. It's interesting, a lot of times uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3 is used, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so we're all equal in the sense of we, as we come before the throne of God. There's no superiority. A pastor isn't higher than a, than, a, than a member of the congregation. And that's another area of, of, of concern through the, the centuries, but we, we see it even in our culture today where certain pastors get set aside to the point where they become uniquely popular. <laughs> they become celebrities in a sense. And that person walks through the door and it's, it's hard not to treat that person uh, with a, an extra special greeting. But James is saying, be careful. Now, I also want to point out, that doesn't mean that we don't show preference to certain things or certain situations. An elderly person comes in the room and and a young person is sitting and there's the only chair in the room. There's nothing wrong with showing favor at that point and exchanging your seat for the elderly person to be able to sit down. Uh, It's like riding on the bus. I don't know how many times I've seen this. I was told and taught, as, as, a, as especially when, you know, where I grew up in, in, in Santa Barbara, we had a bus system. It was pretty active. But visiting my grandparent, uh, my grandmother in San Francisco, the bus system, that's how you got around. And, and the number of people that are healthy, ignoring the fact that there's an elderly person or a, a disabled person doing everything they can to, to, to stay stable, while they're sitting. And so to show preference that way, that's not what James is talking about. Okay? There's a point where we show that kind of preference. And we just show honor and respect for our parents. That's not excluding all of that. What he's just generally talking about is, is the idea of, and, and he uses this picture, a rich man walks through the door and a poor man walks through the door and you gravitate to the rich man. Why? Well, because he's, you know, dressed nice and, and uh, you know, come up here and sit in this special seat and, and uh, we put him at the head of the class, so to speak. And the poor person would say, well, you know, there's a spot over there in the corner or there's a spot over there or if there's no chairs, you can sit at my feet. And the question is, 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 is we want, or the purpose is, we want to be careful that when we are bringing people, and I, I have to tell you, this congregation, I have been overwhelmed at how I have seen you respond to homeless people, uh, street people that come into the, the church and, and minister to them, both out of your pocket as well as, as, as treating them as, as if they were just one of the members of the congregation. You have no idea how proud that makes a pastor. To see a congregation respond that way.
using this example of, of, of a rich man and a, and a poor man is, is just an example. It, 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 you could, you, it, the, the, he wanted to pose the real extremes there. But the idea is, is that it can be very subtle as well. And he says, as you're looking at this, he says, you've judged the situations that are coming through. And he says, you judge with evil motives. You've assessed this situation with evil motives. And I thought, how are you going to figure out what do you mean evil motives? And what he's saying is you, 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 you're, you have a, a sense of discrimination that you are showing as this happens. And this kind of discrimination can be in various forms. It doesn't have to be just rich and poor. And so the result is, is that within the framework of the body of Christ, this doesn't exist. And if it does exist, it's wrong. And you, you look at it, and, and one of the, the commentators was saying, uh, you, you look at the rich person that comes through the door, and, and rich people are... And Jesus points this out too. The rich people generally look at them at themselves because, especially if they're generous, with as as people who to be looked up to. The Pharisees that would give to the poor, they'd sound a trumpet, and 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 throw the money out to the poor, and 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 everybody would come and 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 you know just to touch the tassel of their thing was to you know to show honor, respect, and and this type of thing. And James is saying. That's not the way we should be. Is it wrong to give money to the poor? No. But it's wrong to turn around and be lifted up with your own pride over such a thing. Or to lift someone up because of such a thing. I was looking at this from some personal experiences. And for a, a, a few years I was involved in getting Christian music up here and uh, Christian music in the in the in the late 70s and 80s was becoming very popular especially the the contemporary music there was a lot more music available a lot more bands available and traveling and going to churches and this type of thing setting up concerts and uh, initially these groups would come for a love offering and stay in the homes of the people of the congregation. There'd be a potluck after the church meeting and, and everybody would be fed. And it was just kind of a family affair. I noticed a transition as, as these guys were on the road more, for one thing, but also as, as they, they became more and more popular and Christian, Christian radio stations became more and more popular, and so you're listening to their music and buying their albums and their records and stuff like that to the point where there's a lot more money and profit involved. And I, I noticed that the, the love offerings started to disappear and there was a minimum set fee. And then in addition to the set fee would come after that, uh, they started adding a percentage of the gate. In other words, of whatever tickets were sold. They got a set fee plus a part of whatever the ticket uh, sales were. Oh, and then they started to you'd get a list of the different waters that they, different people in the band drank, the different foods that they liked to eat, and they wanted it set up before they got there. 
Some of them want their water on ice. Some of them wanted their water warm, or, you know, room temperature. Uh, and, and, oh, and vegetarian plate and a non-vegetarian plate. And, and it would go like that. And then they started adding, and we want to stay at the Red Lion, or we want to stay at, and, and of course, as you set up the concert, you're responsible for the payments of all of this stuff. You notice there's not a lot of concerts up here anymore. It's because we can't afford them. That's one of the reasons. It, just, it's, it's priced out of our ability to, for a small congregation. It takes a large group of people to get together and to make it happen. And, and so they're rare. Few. You can go over to Reading or you can go down to, to Santa Rosa or Sacramento to see these you know, concerts where they get into these bigger stadiums and, 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 and stuff. And as a result, get a lot more sales, tickets, and, and resources. I have to tell you, that's a little offensive to me as I look at it because it's no longer a ministry. The other thing about celebrities and in, 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 in the music side of it was the number of, the, of, of world uh, you know, entertainers that were entertainers in the world and successful become Christians. And immediately, there's this, this rush to, to, to put them in on the spotlight and, and get them going. And the majority of them disappeared, fell away, went back to the secular world. One I'm th- I could think of off the top of my head was Bob Dylan. Some of, some of you might even say Bob Dylan was a Christian. He claimed to be for over a year. He won a, uh, wrote and put together a most fantastic album called Slow Train Coming. It's got some in- very interesting music on it. And it's very quite, literally, it's inspiring. I mean, he put a lot of thought into it. But then he drifted away from it. We, you know, we need to be careful. You know, Scripture talks about putting new Christians into into positions of 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 of, of recognition and authority and 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 celebrity status, if you will. And I was thinking of the one who took his time was uh, Barry McGuire. And uh, he was out he was out of the music circle for several years before he went back into it. And, and, and successful and, and, and stayed with it. Um, another area where you, you see this, this, this differentiation of elevating the rich versus the poor uh, or, or the, the regular rank and file people. And I, and I thought it was interesting. Spirit West Coast. Have, how many are you familiar with Spirit West Coast, what it is? Okay. Spirit West Coast was a, a huge... Uh, three-day, you know, music festival, yeah, if you will, of Christian groups coming from all over, some of the most uh, well-known Christian groups. And for Christian West Coast, uh, Spirit West Coast would be down at Laguna Seca. And you can imagine the size of that place. And it was packed. It was, uh, you know, you could have 20,000 people there. And it's amazing. It was really something, speakers, music, and all this kind of stuff. But what I thought was really interesting was those people who were special donors that, that were saying, they had the special seats off to the side with cushions and, and all this kind of stuff. The rank and file who paid the rank and file ticket price, we just go in and sit on the ground, but they had the special place for those. And the backstage passes, if you wanted to pay for them, so that you could meet some of these people. 
And so we, we, this is something that's contemporary. We, we, we are dealing with these things. And I, and I get a little frustrated when I see the commercialization of, of some of this. So I think James would speak to us about this as to how we look at this. I listened to our worship this morning, and I was so blessed. And I want to thank you as a worship team. You know, you go some places, and, and uh, I can think of this one, one place that, that we were at. The organist uh, got, got paid a special prize. Uh, the, the choir director got a special prize. Other things, and, and all these different people that got paid to be up there. And uh, it was no longer ministry for them. It was business. And I just thank you for our worship team and, and their effort and their desire to serve and to be a part of what we do here. And we do sometimes compensate for the time that's put in, but it's still, it's not like what these other places do. There are no distinctions in God's kingdom. That's really the bottom line. That's what he's getting. There's no partiality. There is no distinctions. All are created in God's image. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All deserve the judgment of wrath for their sins. And those who receive God's grace are all equally saved and saved the same way through confession of the mouth and belief in the heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, one, you know, and raised from the dead and all that goes with that picture. And, and so we're all saved the same way. And there's no one that's more saved than someone else. And that was also something that was important to James. Because within the hierarchy of what was going on in, 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 in the, the Jewish community around Jerusalem at the time, was there were those who were like the higher-uppers, you know. We, we, we've got a closer touch with God because of who we are. And James says that doesn't exist. The way you get close to God is through your personal relationship, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through your surrendering to God and His work in your life and, and through His Word. I put in here for me just, you know, if God's grace or favor is based on my worth or righteousness or goodness or thought life, and I, and, and I, I hope nobody takes this the wrong way, but I put hello, underlining the H-E-L-L part. You know, it's, uh, there's nothing that I can do that puts me in a position of, of deserving what God has done. No matter how much, if the whole, we have a song we sing, if the whole world were mine and I were to bring it, it would not be enough. Starting with verse 8 in chapter 2, James writes, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing, committing sin and are convicted by the law of, uh, as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor 
of the law. And he means the whole law at that point. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Get to that in a moment. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The royal law, Jesus said, was, is the greatest commandment. When he was asked by uh, the Jewish leaders as they were trying to entrap him, entrap him, they said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And what he was quoting was Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with the fourth verse. They all knew this verse. And there was no argument about that. There was nothing they could say. What they were hoping was that he would pick one of the, the Ten Commandments and run with that, and they would say, yeah, but this is worse. See, for some, adultery was worse than murder, and for others, murder was worse than adultery. That's why James picked these out. And, and the idea was, uh, you know, you're, you're, there's lesser sin. Well, in the list of sins, compared to adultery and murder, where would favoritism or partiality fall? Well, if you start to, to try to categorize them, that would be a menial sin, a less important sin, not so bad. Adultery? Murder? Not me. But then I had to put in parentheses with a question mark next to it. Lust? Anger? Because Jesus says lust is adultery and anger is murder. I'm all of a sudden a murderer and an adulterer. Partiality is sin. It's missing the mark. And it carries the same weight as all sin. It separates us from God. It needs repentance. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit in us to change us away from that kind of thinking. So, verse 12 here, it says, uh, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Uh, so, it, it, what's implied here is a, a preface to this would be, So as you evaluate others, as you look around the world and you see other people around you, speak and act as one who is being judged under the law of liberty. There's a difference between the law of wrath and the law of liberty. When we speak of the law of the Old Testament, it's by itself, standing alone, it brings wrath, judgment. The law of liberty through Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, the cross, brings grace and mercy, even though it's not deserved. God's mercy, God's grace. 
You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you are saved, that He's raised from the dead, then you are a believer, you are saved, and, and we are under the law of liberty. He says something really strong here in verse 15. Judgment is without mercy for those who show no mercy. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. When James says something that strong and that harsh, he's making the assumption that you've, you, you are outside of the grace of God, that you are not becoming a new creature in Christ and being transformed. What he's saying is, is that if you have no mercy... In other words, there's no hint of Christ in you. Then there will, when it comes to be Judgment Day, there will be no covering of Christ for you. How important is it to, to, to look at this in the context of, of salvation? That same preacher that told me that the, it wasn't Christ that was resurrected, but that His teachings were what was resurrected, said, a God of love will never send anybody to hell. It's not what the Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us if there's no hint of Christ in us, there's no mercy either. To, to, to be speaking and to act as ones judged under the law of liberty, the only place that I could take you too quickly to give a, a, a quick shot at that would be Galatians chapter 5 with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And how is love demonstrated? It's through kindness, through patience, through long-suffering. You know, it's, 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 it's love acted out. It's not just, I say I am. It's, I live I am. And that's what James is getting at. Are you one who lives out the Word of God? You are a doer of the Word? Or are you just one who listens to it and pays it credence and, and acknowledges it? You can even acknowledge it as God's Word, but if it doesn't do anything in here, it doesn't do anything eternally either for you. Judgment is without mercy for those who show no mercy, but... Mercy triumphs over judgment. You come to that point where you finally acknowledge, I can't do it. I need a Savior. I am helplessly, hopelessly lost. There's no hope for me. It doesn't matter how much money I have or don't have. It, it, it's a matter of reality. If I, I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do. I can't save you. You can't save me. The only way I can come into grace is through the blood of Jesus Christ, accepting the, salve, the, the act of Christ and His mercy on the cross to where He says, it is finished. And I come under that, that phrase, it is finished for me as well. Christ finished it for me. Am I perfect? We all know the answer to that. None of us are. We're a work in progress. But God has promised to complete the work that He has started in us. 
And we're in a process of growing together. That's why it's so important that we come together, share in His Word together, work together at understanding it, and then encouraging each other to live it out. In our families, and in our community, at our workplace, wherever we can. And as we come in and, and see the fullness of the grace of Christ, we realize His grace, His mercy, His love triumphs over judgment. What that means is it cancels it. Death, where is your sting? Paul writes. Now, by the way, when Paul writes that, he's not, he's not embracing death as a friend or a, a, still an enemy. Death is, the, is, is, is with us because of sin. So he's not turning around and embracing it and saying, now it's my friend, where's your sting? It's no longer there. What he's saying is it no longer has hold over me. For me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. The worst thing the world, uh, the best, uh, Satan as far as he looks at it, the worst thing that he could do to me is to take away my life. I win. I don't lose, I win. Because I'm living under the mercy of Jesus Christ and therefore the judgment that Satan would, would look at for me is covered by the blood of Christ. I'm eternally bound. I'm a member of the kingdom of God, a work in progress, being transformed. And mercy triumphs over judgment in my life. And so I put down here, Bob, how do you want to be judged? By your works or God's mercy? Pretty easy answer, isn't it? As we come into communion this morning, keep that in mind. The communion is such a powerful picture of the mercy of God. The blood of Christ represented in the cup. The, bread of Christ, the, the body of Christ represented in the bread. He came in the flesh. He, Philippians tells us He emptied Himself. He was equal with God. He didn't have to regard that as something to be grasped. He had it. But he emptied himself and became a man. Not only a man, but a man as a servant of men. Not only a servant of men, but one who would die for men. By the way, the beginning of that, 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 that series of Scripture says, have the same mind, uh, have this the, the mind of Christ who did all of this. In other words, we are to strive to be in that position. And I think of Christ as, as, as the one who had the right to walk into a room and deserve everybody to, to, to yell and to scream and to bow down and to, and to whatever. And instead, he comes as a man, a servant, and even dies on the cross was mocked, rejected, also that he could bring mercy to us. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I'd ask the ushers to come, the worship team to come, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share together.